passages this morning. First from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, which is on page 143 of those black Bibles. And then Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, on page 812. But first, please pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. I'm also going to read it from the New International Version because that fits in more closely with the sermon today. And the New International Version goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And now Matthew 28 beginning at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Our grandson, Jesse, is a good student, but uh, there was a time once when he had a bit of an unusual answer to an arithmetic question. This was some years ago. It was a bit creative. The question was this. Four and zero is, what would you answer? Forty. Well, not quite the answer that the teacher was looking for, but it makes sense in a way, doesn't it? I thought of this as I approached today's message on the Trinity. It's Trinity Sunday, as has already been noted, when we are reminded that God reveals himself as a triune God. On the one hand, we say there is only one God, not not a multitude of gods. One God... But then, in turn, we also say he reveals himself, as our scriptures also noted, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a little bit like saying one plus one plus one equals one. Must be some kind of higher math. Well, I won't pretend that I can adequately completely explain the mystery of the Trinity. But let me at least give an illustration here to start with that might help. Imagine with me a set of identical triplets. I did not say identical twins. I said identical triplets. 
And yes, they do exist. I googled it, it must be true. <laughs> Imagine that one lives in, well, let's say Madison, one in Chicago, and one in Grand Rapids. But let's also imagine that these identical triplets can read each other's minds. Therefore, the one that's in Chicago knows exactly what the other two are seeing and doing. The one in Madison knows what the other two are feeling, and so forth. You get a sense then that, yes, of course, there are three distinct individuals, but they're so in tune with each other, and yet it is also the case that they are separate individuals. Now, all illustrations fall flat somewhere, and this one, among other things, falls flat in this matter that when we talk about the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the only one who was incarnate and lived among us as a human being. So I say it's not a completely adequate illustration, but it helps, I hope. Now then, the thing I want to focus on, nevertheless, is this. So what? So what? And I don't know if I can exhaust that. I'm going to, tr I'm going to be a bit negative, by the way, sort of chipping away at what it's not. I was reminded of the way one author described what it, the uh, sculptor Michelangelo, I think it was Michelangelo, was asked, you know, uh, how do you do this? He said, well, he says, he's commenting on the magnificent statue of David, I just chip away at everything that's not David and what's left is the statue. Well, we're going to chip away a little bit at, at what is not true of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and hopefully this will help us to fo focus on what is true. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, though, the issue is often, and this morning also, how does this help us? So what? Well, our theme this morning, then, as has been noted, is misrepresenting God. Have you ever felt that you were misrepresented? You know, someone's maybe a, in a bit of a peeve, says, um, well, you always, and then you know how that follows. And you say to yourself, well, maybe sometimes, but always? Not always. Well, we do not want to distort God's revelation of himself by overemphasizing any one aspect of him. I think of those funhouse mirrors which distort, you know, the ones that give you this great big head or the great big middle, and a lot of us don't need any help in exaggerating that as it is. So we want to try to focus our thoughts so that we reflect him. And I noticed some of our hymns use that, that imagery too of reflecting and mirroring. We want to mirror God in a way that is true to his nature and his being. 
We are called to mirror God and to reflect him. And the doctrine of the Trinity helps us to prevent various distortions and misrepresentations. In the words of the apostle in 2 Corinthians 5, we are called to be God's ambassadors who so faithfully represent him that it is, quote, as if God himself were making his appeal through us. Isn't that a marvelous thought? As if God is making his appeal through us. Well, it goes without saying then that we need to be appealing in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are. Now, what's at stake here? Each person of the triune God shows us a, a different aspect of his being and character. For instance, the revelation of God the Father Almighty reminds us that God is high and lifted up. He is the God before whom Isaiah trembled, before whom Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. This majesty and this holiness of God inspires awe and humble reverence. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made flesh, emphasizes something different. He emphasizes that God is not only over us, but also with us. And then there's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals a God who is in us. Notice, over us, with us, and in us. What a marvelous thought. In us, over us, with us, and in us. Mind you, do understand something. This is not a multiple choice thing. You don't get to say, well, I'll pick A or I'll pick B. It is both true that God is one and that he reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, what happens if we overemphasize the aspect of the first person of God? What misrepresentations or distortions come then? Notice, by the way, that I'm wanting to focus on the way we as Christians might get it wrong. There are other religions who emphasize this one God only, uh, deism, Judaism, Muslim religion. But the question we want to focus on today is what happens to the Christian faith if we do do that? If we ignore the person of Jesus and focus just on the, the high and mighty Father and the Holy One, and forget about God with us, what then? We might end up with this distortion I would call the absentee landlord, or maybe the absent-minded professor. Now, I know we have a lot of professors here. I know none of you are absent-minded, but such people do exist. I've been known to forget a few things myself. You might think that God, having to deal with the management of the universe, really can't be bothered with you or understand your burdens and your concerns. If all you think about is this God who is up there somewhere, sort of absent, just, 
I mean, he has a universe to run. And there are, are billions of people. I mean, how is he going to notice you? We should not think of God that way. We should not emphasize the, what the theologians call the transcendence of God at the expense of his eminence, his with usness. Because if we miss that, we might miss the compassion of God. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. I was noticing that word again this week, compassion. Passion, it, it suggests the idea of commiserating, suffering with. And isn't that what Jesus especially shows us? How God suffers with us? And we, in turn, if we fall into pride and think too highly of ourselves, might we then also become pitiless people? Hmm? We misrepresent, misrepresent God ourselves. If we become judgmental, easily angered, full of criticism, but short on kindness, and inattentive to the hurts and the burdens of people around us. There are countless examples of people that it is, frankly, easy to write off. Oh, addicts, prisoners, people with sexual problems, illegal immigrants, and on the other hand, politicians and policemen, and I imagine you could add a list of people that are not, not high on your list of esteem. And how easy and how unchristlike it is of us when people suffer. And then we say, well, they had it coming. Huh? People that are easy to dismiss. Paul writes in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God cares about us. And he cared about us while we were yet enemies. You see that? How far-reaching is his compassion. He's not only the high and mighty God who judges the living and the dead, and we'll get to that, but he has compassion, even on those who we have it coming. But you see, God, in his tender mercy, cares for us. And as ambassadors for Christ, we are also commanded to speak and act appealingly, as if God were making his appeal through us. Wow as though God was making his appeal through us. When people interact with us, they're supposed to feel like, man, I've been touched by the Almighty. That I had an encounter with Christ somehow. 
I'm concerned sometimes about the hateful way our political leaders can trash their political opponents or how we citizens sometimes berate them. I wonder how they feel. You remember Shylock in one of Shakespeare's plays who says, if you cut us, do we not bleed? And I think, what's it like to be a, a spouse or a child or a grandparent of some of these very public figures and, and I know they probably try to shield their families from it, but it's got to hit them once in a while and hurt them. What, what is being said about, you know, their father, their mother, their children, their so on and so on? Huh? We ought to be careful. Guard how we speak. Now, having reflected on the person of God the Father, the logical next person to meditate on, of course, is Jesus. But at the risk of confusing you and confusing myself, I want to point us first to the Holy Spirit and then conclude with the person of Jesus. So then, what is the danger of overemphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit? What can we lose sight of if we focus just on the Spirit of God? we might lose sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is ours through faith alone and that he is the gift of Jesus Christ. We do not have a no-name brand faith. Hmm? You've, you know, you've run across that a no-name product. We cannot dissociate the Spirit Spirit of God from the person of Jesus. We lose the center if we embrace a no-name spirituality. All Christians should be spiritual, but not all spiritual people are Christians. And we need to keep that straight. For some, the Spirit is seen to live in everybody, and everybody is part of God, and God's consciousness is just being aware that you have the spark of the divine in you. And that can become an idol. A God casts so much in our own image that he is, in fact, no longer holy. We end up with the distortion I think of as the Star Wars God, Star Wars movies are still with us, aren't they? Or the dysfunctional parent, you know? May the force be with you. The Star Wars God is a strange God. He is both good and evil. An impersonal force. And when you say, may the force be with you, that sounds to me like a very mixed blessing. It is also known as the New Age thinking, which is a variation on 
uh, one aspect of Hinduism, that there are many, many, many gods. And it's curious to me that if you really focus on just the Holy Spirit, I think you end up with an amorphous spirituality with many, many gods. I talked earlier about, you know, these mirrors that distort us. But this is sort of like being in one of those hall of mirrors, you know. You, you, there's mirrors all around you, and you, there's a reflection of your reflection of your reflection of your reflection of your reflection. It's just mind-boggling. Well, that was also a, a misrepresentation of God. God the Father reveals himself in three persons alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, God pours out his love through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. But then we should also remember that it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sins against his holiness. Tolerance and acceptance are good things, God sends his rain to fall on the just on the ju and the unjust, on the good and the evil. But acceptance, like other aspects of God's character, can also be overemphasized. We misrepresent God, do we not, if we are so open-minded that our brains fall out? God's acceptance of us as sinners comes through the cross. And we do not want to lose sight of that. And that, of course, brings us to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Is it possible to overemphasize that? I imagine so. If we were to overemphasize the second person of the Trinity, then, for instance, we might see Jesus only as the one on, who took on the form of a servant. And we might lose sight of the fact that he is also high and lifted up, holy, holy, holy. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and reigns with God. And if we lose sight of his lordship, of his kingship, Jesus is then a variation of a very powerful servant. A servant with a lot of power, but a servant nevertheless. I think of that as a kind of a genie in the bottle or God as personal shopper, you know? You rub the, rub the bottle and make a wish, I wish, I wish, and uh, well, if we just think about Jesus as the servant, then it's not that far a stretch to think of him as our servant. And isn't it true how much of our prayers really just ask God to do something for us? We need to be careful about that. And along this line too, the misrepresentation I want to conclude with is what I would call the Santa Claus God. The distortion sees, this distortion sees God as an indulgent grandfather figure. 
This God comes to visit, but does not stay. He scolds, but he does not punish. He sees who was naughty and nice, but he does not see good and evil, and recognizes no enemies. He is a cut above this Santa Claus God, but he is not high and mighty. No one thinks of Santa Claus as someone before you fall, before whom you fall down and tremble. Santa Claus God brings Christmas cheer, but does not come to judge the living and the dead. The Santa Claus God appeals to us, but does not call us to repentance. The Santa Claus God does not convict us of sin and does not call anyone to faith in Christ alone. The Santa Claus God offers peace with God without the real need for reconciliation, justification through faith. He offers forgiveness without grace. The Santa Claus God leaves, and I quote from Romans 12, verse 9, no room for the wrath of God. The Santa Claus God is our buddy, our friend, but not the sacrifice for sin. In this distorted view, it was nice of Jesus to die on the cross, but not really necessary. Hmm? See, if, if we lose sight of the majesty and the holiness of God and focus only on this God with us, we might forget the fact that, after all, there is a price to be paid for sin and that Jesus paid, paid it. It's Memorial Day weekend. We were reminded that Jesus paid the great sacrifice, that we remember him as the one who died on the cross for our sins. You know, it struck me, I did a little research this week on, on that phrase, you know, lest we forget, huh? We hear that oftentimes with respect. We mustn't forget the soldiers who laid down their lives, and that is good. But it originally came from a poem by Rudyard Kipling called The Recession. And um, he uses that poem to emphasize how, in fact, all the other sacrifices are secondary and not very meaningful if we forget the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's quite a poem. You see, the Bible says that Christ died for the ungodly. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, think about that. While we were God's enemies, before we came to faith, before he cleansed us, he died for us, so that we who were at odds with God might be reconciled through the blood of the cross. 
Yes, we have peace with God, but only by grace. Because God is a, a God of compassion who offers us a mercy that we do not deserve. Only because God reached out to us when we had no desire ourselves to know him. See, all of us come from a distance and all of us need to be brought near through the blood of the cross. We are saved, but remember, it is only through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have eternal life, but only because we share in the resurrection of Jesus, who conquered death for us. Yes, we love. We love the Lord. I, I, I know you do. You wouldn't be here. But isn't it interesting that the Bible says that we have that only because he poured his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even our love for the Lord is just giving back to what he first gave us. But again, let me emphasize, the good news must be proclaimed. God is just, but he is merciful. And it is the God of mercy that make it reconciliations of the blood of Jesus on the cross. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to make the cross beautiful in our eyes. Think about it. The cross is really a, a terrible instrument of torture. And yet God somehow imbues that with such grace that it becomes a symbol and a, a, of beauty the beautiful Savior in Jesus Christ. And God so appeals to us and wants us also then to be appealing people. God wants us to make his appeal through us. He invites us to be his true ambassadors and representatives to, so that people can see Christ in us and the Holy Spirit shining out of us. Jesus Christ alone is our Savior, who reveals to us the Father and the Son as well. And he wants us to pray that the Holy Spirit will pour out his love on many, many beside ourselves, so that many, many hearts may also welcome him as we have welcomed him through his power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Lord, we are in awe of the mystery of your revelation. We do not fully comprehend it, but we love it. Thank you so much for showing yourself to us as as a magnificent, mysterious, almighty, loving, and very personal God that we see in the scriptures. Thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes through us from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.